0: Something motivational, inspirational, and conversational. Oh, Artists at Home. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and being a guest here on our Artists at Home series. Of course, I already know you. um, But for anyone who doesn't, can you let us know a little bit about who you are and the kind of work that you do when there's not a pandemic going on?
1: (laughs) So my name is Alex. Um, I'm 29 years old. I grew up dancing in Richmond Hill. Um, I was dancing at the same studio from when I was about 10 until I was 18, until I graduated. Um, I went to the University of Windsor. I studied developmental psychology. When I was there, I was on the dance team and the cheerleading team. Um, I started helping a friend out there, like come with choreography. Um, when I would come home for the summers, I actually did work with Bundle at a camp where I was a part of the e-dance team. Um, I started doing some like supply teaching because I was also still in school um, to further my education with uh, developmental disabilities. Um, and then I got a full-time job at the school board and then I changed from that. And now I'm an instructor therapist. So I provide IBI therapy to kids with autism and when I'm not doing that, I just supply teach at various studios um, in the area.
0: That's awesome. So, I mean, you mentioned that your background in dance uh, and that you've taught dance, but also that you now have—I mean, you majored in developmental psychology, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Correct. So.
0: And you're, you're working with kids in a very different sense. So, you know, we see obviously very, um, heightened versions of the, the dance world on, on shows like Dance Moms and the like, but it is a very competitive, um, thing that is imposed on kids at such a young age. Has your background and training in developmental psychology impacted the way that you teach dance or you view that community for children?
1: Um, I think so because I only do it like part-time and I'm a supply like I can't really veer off from how the the main teacher teaches but I can touch on the fact that when before I got into school when you and I were working together I kind of like ruled my class with an iron fist. like I was we were pretty much like one team and I was just really really hard on them really really picky about the details probably a little bit too hard on them at times, only because I wanted the best for them. But then after I went to school and I started working with like a different population and working within the school board, um, I realized that every single child is different and it's not up to the child to figure out what you're trying to say. If the kid's not getting it, the onus is on the adult and on the teacher to change their method of teaching. Because at the end of the day, you're only as strong as your weakest link. But as the coach, you need to help elevate those kids. So what's going to work with one kid is not going to work with another kid. And I think that you definitely need to kind of tweak slightly your teaching styles depending on each kid because you want them to succeed. Like if you're going to put out a number, your name is going on that at the end of the day. Like before I went to school, if a kid wasn't getting it, I would pretty much like just change the choreography and be like, it's your fault. You're not good enough. And at that point they weren't happy. I wasn't happy. Um, but now that I've worked with multiple different populations of kids, yeah, I'm going to change my tweaking style. You're going to get the choreography and we're all going to be happy because a happy dancer is honestly a better dancer. Like I don't want to take the love and the passion away from these kids. I want them to enjoy what they're doing because that energy is literally going to radiate through them when they're on stage. If they're too afraid to make mistakes or if I'm like, I'm changing the choreography because you're not good enough, that's not helping anybody. And the choreography is going to be messy. They're going to be nervous. So yeah, I've just learned that it's going to always fall back on me and I need to elevate these kids and give them the confidence and the tools that they need. And school has definitely helped me realize that and change my way of teaching.
0: For sure. And that's amazing that you're, you know, able to put those two things together. Um, But for someone who doesn't have the, the background knowledge that you do, um, what do you think, or how do you feel like the competitive nature um, and the intensity of the dance community impacts? And do you think that there's, um, you know, long-term effects that on these kids, you know, that, I mean, obviously not in all cases, but do you think it's possible that there could be some long-term effects um, on these kids that were in that very competitive and rigorous environment from such a young age?
1: I think 100% there's long-term effects, but it also depends on the kid. Like some kids are just more resilient than other kids, right? Um, I can speak on my own personal experience with dance and, like, how that's shaped me. I was, like, definitely afraid of some of my teachers just because of, like, the judgment and I was too afraid to make a mistake, but I was also too afraid to ask questions because I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of my entire class, and that's literally carried me through, like, when I was in school, like, very much afraid to, like, ask a question in front of the whole class because I didn't want to you know look like that kid who's slowing slowing everybody else down so like I think if I had teachers who just changed changed their way of teaching just a little bit I would be more okay to ask questions and then in turn I probably would have been a better dancer and then I should also say like not all of my teachers were like this I had some great great teachers for whose sure class like I enjoyed going to but for For the most part, i it definitely had a long- term effect on me, and like the fear of being judged by the people who you're supposed to be like a tight little family with. Right. Like obviously, in the competition world, you are going to be judged. It is a competition. It is literally in the name competitive dance. but I shouldn't be afraid to make a mistake in class because that just literally held me back. So.
0: Right, right, and I, I mean, you know, they say competition is healthy, but I think it it needs to come from a place where kids are still enjoying it. Because at the end of the day, dance is not um, a means of survival, right? So yeah. it's, it's something that kids are doing as you know, an extracurricular, a hobby, a whatever you want to call it. But like any artistic or sport, anything that that they're they're doing there has to be a love in it and there has to be a sense of enjoyment and fulfillment in it for, for them as well. Right. Aside from just, you know, coming home with a trophy at the end of, at the end of competition. Exactly.
1: And like I was saying before, like the passion and the happiness is going to make you a better dancer. Like I remember by my last year, like I no longer was, I was not happy and I didn't have a passion for it anymore. Like I didn't love it. Like I used to um and that's just because of how competitive it was like not only when you went to competitions but like within the studio as well in the environment and it's not until I went to university and I joined the dance team that like I started to really love it again and perform for myself and maybe that's because the competition aspect was gone because we would perform at like football games and basketball games and yeah we did do like one competition here or there but like I just remember why I fell in love with it to begin with. And I don't want kids to like lose that love of it once they get into like the competitive world. So I think, yeah, that teachers just need to change.
0: For sure. So how long, I mean, you you mentioned that you were dancing in university. Um, Do Mm -hmm. you still dance yourself or do you only teach nowadays?
1: (laughs) Well, I mainly just like teach. But, you know, I am known to throw it down in my living room from time to time. <laughs> yeah, no, I mainly just teach now. I just, like, I would love to, you know, hop inside a studio again. I just, I just, I don't have time. Like, I'm right. so, so busy. So I do, like, maybe once a year go pop into, like, my old studio just to see, like, the owners and stuff, because they're, like, such lovely people, but, like... I don't ever, I don't ever put on like my dancing shorts and pirouette and chate across the floor anymore. Although maybe I should do that one day.
0: Why not? You gotta live a little.
1: Why not? Exactly. (laughs) You know, the club is not the best place to have a grand bat mom. I'm gonna knock someone out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, (laughs) So when you were dancing, I mean, obviously you did it for a while explored yeah. many different styles but did you have a style that was your favorite or that was kind of like your your go-to you were known for or that you that really resonated with you
1: um I mean I don't think I think I was equally talented I don't think sounds cocky or not but like equally talented at like all of them like n- there wasn't one that I was just like fabulous at but my favorites were probably jazz and tap, and depending on the year, sometimes ballet, but never hip hop, <laughs> No,
0: <laughs> I'm really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're not bad. Okay, so what, what styles of dance do you teach? Do do you just kind of go with whatever is needed, or yeah,
1: they just call me in and they're like, you're teaching this class at this time, and then I'll just go in and do what I gotta do. Um, I mainly try to avoid hip hop classes (laughs) only because like I'm not strong at it, like I'm not confident at all. Like if I have to, I will. Right. But I'd rather not.
0: Just not your thing?
1: No. Stiff as a board. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I I, I don't think you're, you're stiff as a board. I mean, sure, you, you need that to be able to move for any style of dance, right? Just in, I guess, a very different way than...
1: Very, with, very with, different. Yeah. Look at these noodle arms. Like, they can't do hip-hop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So... Uh, Overall, did, would you say that you had a good experience growing up in the dance community?
1: Yeah, I did. I've met a bunch of amazing people along the way. Um, definitely taught me like discipline, and you know, I've picked up a few boys with my dance moves. I don't know about it. I'm just joking but no I overall did have a really good experience with being in the dance world it's I think any type of like art or sport is really really good for kids and like me personally when I do eventually have kids I will be putting them if they want to obviously because I can't first get to do anything but I will be putting them hopefully in dance I think it's a really good experience and I want my kids to have that as well
0: that's awesome so it's obviously something that you are still passionate about and it's still something yes. that's, you know having a, a big impact on your life and you want mm-hmm. to pass on um but I mean you and I have known each other for six years now which is <laughs> That's crazy. When did that happen? <laughs>
1: oh my god!
0: I, I, I it feels so like we so are
1: you to me back then.
0: It, it feels like just yesterday that um I was too intimidated to talk to you because it was like eleven um... weeks into working together and you didn't know anybody's name. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, my my so favorite fun. thing about <laughs> working with you has always been the fact that you are worse at, with names than I am and that is <laughs> yeah. I am usually the worst one in the room with names so I always like to work with you where I can be like I know more people than her.
1: I just <laughs> like they would tell me their name and then I was not listening <laughs> there's literally no I was going to try to spin that really well, but I just straight up wasn't listening. And that was that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think it, it's it's difficult too when you're working in like a, a fast-paced environment like camps, like, you know, we were working yeah. at the summer camp. Um, you learn everybody and you do those games, those, you know, introductory, those icebreaker that everyone hates, but everyone makes you do. Um, yeah. you do those kind of games and it's so like everyone's name is thrown at you all at once and you go do you remember we had to do that game where it was like um, this person like the first person would say okay you know my name is like Rufus and the next person would be Wait, like
1: uh, there was no actual Rufus that we worked with, right? no there's no actual <laughs> Rufus <Okay. laughs> but they'd be like okay <laughs> you
0: know like my name is Flora, and this is Rufus. And the next person would have to be like, my name's Rose, Uh, and this is Flora, and this is Rufus. Rufus.
1: Yeah, I always remember remember sitting beside Alessia, so I didn't have to remember anybody else's name.
0: I always remember, no matter which environment I played that game in, I was always, like, the last one at that damn table. And I would have to, like you know, some lucky schmuck over here just had to say like three names and I got to be like, all right, I've been in the room with these people for 10 minutes, never seen them before in my life and now I have to name all 32 of them. All right, yeah. let's do this. Like, it was never a- It was also
1: easier if you had been there for like years because like there was a lot of recurring people so you're like, okay. Oh, 100%. Like, no, but like your first year, like it sucks before.
0: <laughs> and so, yeah, for me, I was just like, all right, well, this half of the room already knows each other and wants nothing to do with anybody else Sounds well, right. this half of the room like everyone's like paired up like you know what I mean like everyone like they've them and their best friend or them and their neighbor or whatever got these yeah. jobs together and I'm just like I'm sitting here and I don't know these other 30 people yeah <laughs> And that's just how it was. But I mean, no, it was, man, that was, that was an experience. But honestly, it was like, at the time I was just like, Ugh. but looking back on it now, I was like, let
1: complain about it. Like every single day we would, complain. but like
0: looking back on it, it now, so it was kind of fun.
1: It was so fun.
0: <laughs> it was like awful, but it was a lot of fun.
1: It was fun. Like I went to work to hang out with my friends
0: So, I mean, obviously you and I have known each other now for four or six years, which obviously seems like impossible. Um, And we're friends. We've spoken about a lot of the things going on in the world right now. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I think we may speak more casually about them just because we we are friends and we've known each other for a while. But I remember you, when, you know, we first started hearing a lot about... um, Well, it started, I think, the discussions with the in the dressing room hashtag that the Stratford Festival started. And that was eye-opening for a lot of people, just the the severity and the strong presence of racism and discrimination within the arts. Um, Because I think people are so quick to say, you know, oh, well, the arts are so accepting. There's no racism here. And it's like, I mean, I I think it's fair to say that the arts are Perhaps more accepting than some other industries, but that mm-hmm. by no but that by no means uh, means that there's no discrimination or no racism or you know these things are very live and well. Um, so you uh, were telling us about um, your experience with having to always paint your your point shoes because they didn't well, even make paint them. Paint
1: everything. It wasn't even necessarily point shoes, like mainly or like ballet slippers or whatever. Those were kind of left alone, but I had to stain my foot undies, stain my foot thongs, stain my straps, and I had to be so careful as to not get any, and I stained them with tea bags, because if I used makeup, like, the transfer between, like, the white mesh part or, or the sleeves to, right. um, to the costume, and then you couldn't get it out, and it was, like, this whole big deal, but... I remember my mom spent, because I was a kid, so obviously my mom did it, spent quite a significant amount of time staining my stuff with tea bags and a lot of them so they would match my skin tone because my feet stuck out like a sore thumb. Clearly I am black and those foot undies were made for white people. So the contrast there was absolutely ridiculous. So my mom had to stain them for me and then like that I don't know who makes foot undies and foot thongs but they started coming out with like colorful ones which great for class but I can't go on stage with those so like it was just like those little things that nobody thinks about like that black artists have to go through and like even when we were doing like hair for competition like we had this one hairstyle like the girls would have to like tease the shit out of their hair I cannot do that so thank god my mom is intelligent and like took nylons and I want to say she like stuck them with cotton and had to put it under my hair and then like literally hairspray and bobby pin everything to my head so I looked like everybody else and even like when we had to do like our competition pictures when like the slick back ponytail was a thing like and I had to straighten my hair which is like not necessarily the best for it and my hair was still really poofy and I had like girls come up to me why is your hair like that why like why this why that and like yes we were all kids so like I didn't think it was coming out of like a malicious place but like it was really frustrating to have to explain it and it, it made it difficult like I didn't like picture day Not because they're not pretty, but because I didn't want to answer the questions about my hair. But yeah, there's just all these little thingies that, that you don't think about if you're not like a Black dancer or a Black performer or a Black artist. So, and even now, like when I do tell people I dance and even back, way back when I was like, oh, I'm a dancer. Or like, oh, like I used to dance. Everybody's first question was like, oh my gosh, can you teach me how to do hip hop? Can you teach me how to twerk? why isn't the first question what kind of dance do you do like it always it always went right to hip-hop and maybe that's why like I resent hip-hop a little bit because like that was everybody's first question and it was literally because I am black I should be able to do hip-hop I should be able to twerk jokes on you bitch I can't do either <laughs>
0: yeah I mean it, it's it, it's interesting to think that you know these these stereotypes do exist and they are still still alive and well and I mean you were saying about kids it's not coming from a malicious place and I, th- I think that's true I think in some cases you know with kids kids are gonna ask questions kids are yeah. they see something they don't understand they're gonna ask um, but what I've noticed about working with kids and I mean let me know what you think as well is kids will also accept the answer you give them
1: yeah you know, they do
0: if you say if you say to a child like if a kid asks why your hair looks like that and you say that's just how it is they'll say okay and walk away it's it is the, the parents true. and the external factors that That, that yeah them, you're not you know.
1: born learning to hate or learning to look at people sideways because they're different you ask the question and you move on and I remember once uh, I have this little boy and I don't think he's ever seen like a black person before, or I'm, I can't say that. I actually don't know. Maybe he just has never interacted with one. And he came up to me and like tugged my shirt and was like, why are you the same color as my pudding? Cause he was also eating chocolate pudding. And my answer was <laughs> because I was born that way. And he was like, why and I was like well that's because my parent like my mom and dad look like that and he like looked at me and I was like well do you look like your mom and dad and he was like yeah and I was like and I look like mine and then he was like okay and then skipped away and that was that so like yeah like I'm grateful he asked cause like cool it was a learning experience he was also in like kindergarten or grade one so like I had to really like simplify it right but uh, I don't know where I was going with this. Hold on. Um, but yeah, back to they accept the answer you give them and that stuff. There's no more questions asked. They're not going to treat me any differently. But all of that stuff is coming from whoever they're surrounding themselves with. Because mm-hmm. all of those things are taught just like you're taught the ABCs, just like you're taught like different tap and jazz and ballet moves. You're also taught like how to hate and how to how to treat people differently 100%. because something doesn't match up with like your immediate world. So everybody needs to do better. Like the dance world needs to do better at inclusion and like just the world needs to do better. Um, I will say though, like there was this petition, I think on um, Instagram going around about how Capizio needs to make point shoes and ballet shoes with a wide variety of colors and I'm pretty sure they did. Like I don't know if it was the petition that made them do it or it was already in the works, but that would have been great to have <laughs> back in the day. But the whatever the belly shoes weren't really even that bad because like you have pink tights and pink shoes and like nobody's actually pink. <laughs> but it still was meant for like a lighter colored person as opposed to somebody who's has more melon melon, melon pigmentate. <gasps> Who's black?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man. But yeah, I mean you, you touched on a good point, And I, I think it, it does in a lot of cases come from kids. You know, kids don't know they're not exposed <laughs> to some things. they um and it's unfortunate. And I, I mean I do think it's it's good. Children's media, I will have to say, has come a long way and especially the last five years in Showing a much more diverse, um,
1: yeah,
0: both you know, racially diverse, culturally diverse, and also we're kind of breaking out of that heteronormative mold, um, mm-hmm. in children's mm-hmm. media. You know, Disney's got a couple of uh, LGBT characters, um, they do, to, yay,
1: Disney! You know,
0: we're starting to see it. I mean, in Arthur, uh, the we, Arthur, we all grew up watching. Um, Mr. Ratburn had a gay wedding. Um, Mr. Ratburn, Mr. Came Ratburn out- was gay. Mr. Ratburn, uh, I think it was last year, Mr. Ratburn came out as gay. And he, all yeah! it's kind of creepy. All the kids went to his wedding. I don't know why he's inviting his students no, to his wedding.
1: No, that's not weird. It's kind of
0: like in Glee when Mr. Schuster invited all the kids to his wedding. And it was just kind of like...
1: Like uh, the reception?
0: So like the ceremony and the reception, yeah.
1: Oh, I've had like teacher friends who they've invited their class to just the church part not to the reception part. I thought it was so, so cute.
0: Extra. I don't like that. But then I guess in Arthur, Mr. Rappin had that same class for like 19 years. So yeah,
1: they didn't grow up. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's when they're friends. They're not even students. <laughs>
0: right. They're so taking shots they're, together. They've all got to be in their forties at this point. Um, I don't, but yeah, so children's media is showing kids a lot more than, than it used to, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you know, when I think of of that sheltered life i think my grandma my grandma was born in 1929 Mm -hmm. um she's polish so white as white can be Uh, yeah you know to her parents came here uh, a while actually before she was born but um, you know two polish parents um so she and they lived in a very european community so (laughs) before she started school it was all white people all the time she didn't really also it was 1929 so it was a very Different time, um, but when she started like, a school or or some sort of um, child grew, I don't know if it was like a, a play group or whatever it was at the time, <laughs> there was a black girl in her class, and she tells the story of the very first day she went to that girl and asked why her skin was dirty because she had never seen a Black person before. And in her mind, she associated it with when she plays outside and she gets dirt on her skin and it yeah. looks darker. And the girl was like, well, that's, that's just how it is. And then so she went home and said to her mom, I saw this girl and her skin was dirty. And credit to my great grandmother, because <laughs> in 19, I guess of 32 at that point, yeah she sat her down and was like no no some people just have different color skin and we everyone's still a person and we love and we respect everybody and when you go to to your grandma your great
1: grandma
0: right and she was like and when you go to school tomorrow when you see her you have to make sure you apologize to her and it was just like this is the part that gets me if people could understand that in 1932 Why the hell can't they understand it in 2020?
1: We still have a long way to go. Like, your grandma in 1932, 1929, whenever it was, clearly more woke than, I mean, a lot of the population now. Reality needs to change.
0: (laughs) Oh, 100%. There is a lot that needs to change.
1: We need to get, like actors and actresses and whoever who have um who have physical impairments like we need to just get them to the starting line like they're not even at the starting line and these like completely physically able people are like eons ahead just because they can walk Mm -hmm. which is so so ridiculous and it's the same with like you don't have to put this word in but like it's the same with like even black lives matter. Like, okay, like, yes, not all Black lives are, like, no Black life is equal right now to, like, a white life. And right now, we're literally asking to just get to the starting line. Which is, I shouldn't have to ask to get to a starting line. I should already be at the starting line, and I'm not. Like, I have to work twice as hard to get to even halfway where you are. And those are the same with people with, like, the physical disabilities in the arts like all of that 100% needs to change I remember we went to like a national dance competition in Florida and there was this one girl and she was on stage she was doing like a bunch of foites or like pump turns whatever and I was like why is her foot not pointed like how are you gonna get on stage and not point your foot like being like a super judgy little bitch and then the closer I looked at her she had a prosthetic leg and she was up there like giving it her all. And I was just like, this is fabulous. Like, that's amazing. The fact that like her parents were like, no, if you want to dance, dance, like don't let it stop you. And like, she was able to do that. And I think every single person with a physical disability or physical impairment, whatever you want to call it, should be awarded the same opportunities. because look at that girl, like on stage at a national dance competition, like literally giving it her all. So like, why can't everybody else be awarded that same opportunity? I think that's ridiculous because you're missing out on so so much talent, not fair to them and not fair to the world to not be able
0: to see them. So, (laughs) but no, you're absolutely right. I I think, and, and that's a good analogy that people aren't even at the starting line. And it's how can people win the race if they're not even at the starting line? Exactly. You know, we're 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 not we're not setting people up for for success. And I mean, it, it's true. Like there's so much going on right now that I'm I'm thinking there there's so much stuff that I wasn't even aware of, and that's a hundred percent white privilege. Um, and the fact that I just never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. That, you know I'm I'm hearing things and I'm like, wait, people are. Are st- like there were some some things in that in the dressing room hashtag, and I'd be sitting there thinking, "This is still a thing." And I'm like, that is hundred percent my my privilege and my ignorance that I was completely oblivious to to some things. And I mean, also hearing stories from people that I had worked with, or stories of things that had happened on projects I had worked on. And I was like, so this person came in with a smile on their face every day. This, you would have never this, known. You would never know that this cast all seemed to get along so well. And then I hear, you know, months later that that this remark had been made or this very, very dated um, and ignorant phrase had been used many, many times. And it's, I mean, first off, there, there's so many things to unpack there. But I mean, the first off for me was like, how was I oblivious to this? Because if we say
1: anything and make a bunch of noise, we're then labeled. And it's sometimes easier to just keep your mouth shut because then you don't want the narrative. I don't know if the person you're talking about is Black or whatever, but then you don't want the narrative, oh, she's an angry Black woman, oh, she's so sassy, oh, this, oh, that, oh, that. Well, no, I'm literally just telling you why what you said is so fucking rude and so fucked up. You told me not to swear. I'm so sorry on so many different levels, but yet I'm the one who's still going to be labeled. And then you're going to be like, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. And then I have to be like, oh, well, I know you're not racist. It's fine. Like I still have to somehow validate you when you were in the wrong. It's like a narrative that's been going on for years and years and years and years and years and it needs to change. I don't know if that's where you were going with that, so you can like totally cut the part out if it's like not a thing.
0: No, that's literally it. I was, that was literally my second thing. I was like, how was I so oblivious and why didn't the person speak up?
1: There's so many different reasons.
0: And I mean, there's, it's also very tricky, you know, because, we can say you know i mean we have our anti-harassment policy we have a zero tolerance policy equity has they're not not in our our space campaign there's so many things in place but you know something that that came out of these discussions that i was thinking about is we can control our rehearsal room Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what's happening in the room we have full control over and Mm -hmm. we can take responsibility for but if if say three actors decide to go out for drinks after a rehearsal they're not in our space, they're not in our environment. We don't have control over that. We're not present, right? If something transpires, if somebody makes a a remark to to you know, one of the actors to another actor, um that's that's racist, discriminatory, or just plain rude. Yeah. Um that's that's now happened. That is something that is going to affect the relationship with these people and that person is going to have to come into their work environment now every single day bearing in mind that what this person has just said to them Um, and the tricky thing is if they don't come forward at that point and they're not comfortable with that we have no idea that this has transpired so we can't even offer support
1: and a lot of the times, like, I can't say for the person you're talking about for, for me, like, if I heard a comment or somebody made a comment to me, just bury it deep down and keep it pushing. Like, there's, and there's a, a lot of people don't know that these comments were made or whatever, just because you don't want to start this whole, this whole, like, race war, essentially. Like, it's mm-hmm. very tricky line to walk, And, like, I think it would be a lot easier if, like, the people who we were reporting to, like, were people of color, because then they would, it would be easier for them to understand, like, yeah, I'm glad, like, you and I are having this conversation, and we're opening up the dialogue, however, like, if you were my boss, and somebody made a comment to me, and, like, you and I weren't friends, I would have, it would take so much more courage for me to go to you and say, like, this is what's happening like you just kind of want to keep the peace don't want to ruin the show don't want to be labeled any more than you're already being labeled and like keep pushing it's like kind of just like another way to like silence the voices um i got this job at university and i had a phone interview and it was like it was my university resume so it was actually such garbage it was just like i go to the university of windsor i'm on the dance team i'm on the cheerleading team I'm in a sorority. Blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, like, wow, you sound like you're so bubbly and perfect. And then blah, 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 like you're hired. Also because they, like, needed somebody, like, literally for that weekend. And I was like, okay, cool. They're like, okay, like, go here. You need to, like, get all your – get whatever you need to get from the warehouse because you're going to X location. And I was like, cool. So – not the person who hired me, but my boss had like called my cell phone and was like, okay, like I'm going to be there in like 20 minutes, whatever time he said. And I was like, okay, cool. And then um, he comes into like the little warehouse room and then there's like people do whatever they need to be doing. And he's like, oh, like I'm looking for Alexandria Smith. And I was like, oh, like that's me. And he was like, oh no, but like, I'm looking for the Alexandria Smith who works for like this company and I was like in the flesh like that like hello and then he was like no I'm looking for the Alexandria Smith who works for this company who got hired by this person and blah blah, blah. I'm like yeah that's me I'm supposed to be going here to like literally like tomorrow and he was like oh okay and like it was that subtle like like inflection in his voice and like the very confused look on his face he like quickly changed it but I couldn't be like I know why you were asking that I just whatever it was fine we kept pushing and then I had a friend who worked for the same company and then he was like oh like I wasn't expecting her to look like that and my friend was like look like look like what and then he obviously couldn't say oh I wasn't expecting her to be black like he said it without saying it but like had he actually said it out loud it would have been like a huge HR issue like I mean I probably could have brought it to HR but like I was so young but like it's little things like that because of what was on my resume and those are stereotypically like associated with like white people I guess or like I don't know what his reasoning was but it's like little like microaggressions like that like you've had to deal with or I've had to deal with like my entire life like oh i didn't expect you to do a b and c or like i didn't expect you to like look that way or the worst one is oh you sound really white that one great am i supposed to say thank you to that like what do you mean i sound white i'm well spoken Because I grew up in Richmond Hill and I have an education. So yes, I sound well-spoken, but I do not sound white. Because what does a white person sound like? Please tell me. Do I sound like a white person from Australia? A white person from Germany? A white person from Poland? Like, I, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you mean I sound white? But then they can't say, oh, no, you sound smart. Because then you're only associating white people with being smart listen bitch there was a whole ass black president but you continue on
0: i love that you're you're speaking so so openly about this because i think it's so easy for people to to read you know uh, a buzzfeed article or ctv or anything like that and see you know oh this movement's happening and these are the statistics but there's that humanized element of it isn't there Mm And it's so easy to to dismiss what you're seeing and think oh that's that's so bad but out the window it goes. Um, yeah. Whereas I think the reason why, and it's insane that it's taken this long, but I think the reason why this conversation is is sticking this time and people are, are listening is because it's people telling their stories. Yeah. As opposed to a news organization telling their stories on their behalf in a very censored and, for lack of a better term, whitewashed way.
1: Yeah, no, people are telling their stories. And like now that we're in the age of social media... People's voices can be heard. Like, I don't have to call up like CTV News or Global or whoever to be like, I have something to say. Like, if I wanted to say it, I could pop on Instagram Live. I don't do that because I'm not an influencer, but I could if I wanted to pop on there, pop on my Facebook, like go on Twitter, and my voice is going to get out there. My voice will be heard. And so now it's in everybody's face as it should be. And step in the right
0: direction so so how have you been keeping busy I mean aside from (laughs) obviously enjoying enjoying summer and uh, enjoying the time off how have you been staying busy now that the pandemic has affected so much of your work yeah
1: i don't know like i've been working out quite a bit um i've been going on a lot of hikes a lot of bike rides um a lot of online shopping which like really had to cut back that habit especially <laughs> if you're not, not working scared. yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. i'm in the
0: same boat don't worry
1: yeah so my, my post-quarantine lookbook will be fucking fire but i have nowhere to wear any of these outfits i bought um Now that the restrictions are being lifted a little bit, like I uh, just went to a cottage weekend with like a few of my girlfriends, but we all got tested before we went and we all had a negative COVID test so we weren't spreading it back to like our families or significant others. I don't have one of those, but like a lot of them do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I've been going on picnics, (laughs) got chased by a wolf.
0: I hate the other side I'm sorry yeah you gotta you gotta talk about this so you went you went on a picnic as a first date and you encountered <laughs> it something just, it
1: wasn't a first date it was a date
0: okay so so you went you went on a you were being a good um socially distant citizen uh yeah. you 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 went on a date you went to an outdoor space you went on a picnic and a park great that's what you know yeah. so many people are, are recommending that we do and something happened to you that was uh maybe a little less safe than you were hoping for
1: yeah i was um, am i was <laughs> face to face with a damn coyote it could have been a coy wolf i don't know i don't really know wildlife because i don't go to the wild and so we're sitting there eating sushi safe distance apart and (laughs) all of a sudden this uh, gentleman suitor (laughs) was like what's that and I literally turn around and stand up and this bloody giant ass coyote wolf thing um staring me in the face like it was I feel like in a few really big gallops it could have like eaten me um (laughs) and <laughs> so, because I was trying to maintain composure and like be cool, calm, and collected, I uh, was like, don't run. Because, like, the last thing you're supposed to do is run. I did take like a wildlife training class. So, like, I know all these things in theory. Um, and then before I knew it, like, I took off and I didn't really realize I was running until like my brain caught up to my body. And so, I'm running away from this coyote. The coyote's running after me because at this point, like, easy meal, easy meal. And then he is running after the stupid coyote. And I was like, all right, where am I going to go? I can't run forever. And at this point, like, I think adrenaline was just, like, pushing me to go. And so I was like, well, there's a fence and there's a tree. I'm not going to try and climb a tree because last time I did that, I fell out. So fence it is. So I literally fling myself over this woman's fence and like land in her garden. Like I'm dirty, like my bodysuits ripped. And I'm like screaming bloody murder. And she so calmly was like, Oh wow, your jump was really impressive. And I was like, woman, hello. I just almost died. Whatever. <laughs> she ended up being really, really nice. And like she was like, Oh yeah, there's a pack that live out there. Like
0: So I'm sorry, this this but- woman did not question that you just like pole vaulted pole. into her backyard
1: nope I mean it must have happened before because she was so calm but at this point I think things need to open back up again because like I'm literally not trying to die by eating outside and being like perfectly socially distanced and safe like it is literally safer for me to go inside a restaurant than it is for me to eat outside on the ground and I think that's bullshit <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah I I will I will say that um there are there's not a lot of things going on right now that we can guarantee but I can pretty much guarantee you there are no coyotes inside restaurants
1: yeah so Toronto's gonna need to get it together and we're gonna need to go into phase three because I no longer eat outside
0: (laughs) (laughs) unless it's a patio
1: no I no longer eat outside Oh, Inside or nothing at all.
0: Oh man. So so what's next for you after after quarantine? I know there's a lot that's that's uncertain, but is there anything that you're you're looking forward to or that you really want to do once uh some more restrictions have, have lifted?
1: Honestly, I kind of want to see my grandparents. <laughs> like I haven't seen them in four months. And like not that I saw them like every day or even every week, but like I saw them at least once a month. But what's next for me after quarantine
0: that mm. you said yeah
1: hopefully get back to work um i was thinking of like even maybe going back to school just to learn sign language to be quite honest i think it would definitely help with the population that i work with help communicate because a lot of kids i work with um some of them are non-vocal so you know, having that little extra means of communication would probably be helpful for me and them. Um, Honestly, the future is just really up in the air right now. Like I have no clue what I am doing. I have, I've never been at a loss for words before, but I'm at at a loss for words about my future.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely an uncertain time for for all of us. Um... Yeah. But you know, I think it's sign language sounds like a great thing, and I mean, it's also something that if you don't go back to school, you can always uh, do online. To... I can
1: do it online. I do have like a, hopefully I'll have a job to go back to. Um, I don't really know what that looks like, just because the social distancing is going to be so hard with not only kids in general, but like kids with developmental delays. It's going to be extremely difficult for yeah. for us to social distance. So like. I guess, like, the director of, like, my team or, like, whoever else needs to kind of figure out what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So I'm literally just, it's a waiting game. I'm just going to wait it out. But, yeah, I don't know. I have no clue what the future has in store. Everything is uncertain. Um, But I'm going to take it and roll with the punches and figure it out as I always do. I'll always land on my feet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for for being a guest on our Artists at Home series. And we look forward to working with you in the future.
1: I'm very excited. Yay. Thank you.